Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Uh, this is our declaration on the screen behind me, and if you're new to us, this is a uh, this is a declaration that God's given us for this year. We say it every Sunday. Are you ready? Let's say it like we mean it. All right. I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word, for everything I do flows from it. Amen. Um, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 25, we're going to get there in a few minutes, and we're going to talk today about uh, a, a, really, I think this is the fourth message in our series. We have one more next week, and we are in a series called Ship Shape, and it's really uh, different ways God has shaped us. We talked about God in week one, we talked about God shaped us. Uh, for relationship, and relationship with God is called what? Come on, lordship. Relationship with people is called what? Fellowship. And then last week, Erica, you did a great job bringing us this message on discipleship. God created us to just reproduce. We, he created us to mentor and raise people up. And so it's great. We've been talking about discipleship all month with our leaders in different areas of ministry. And I shared with them, like, leadership uh, or uh, discipleship is not just my job. It's not just professional clergy's job. Like, discipleship is everybody's job. Like, it's all, it's your job. If you're in this house, discipleship, if you are a Christian, discipleship is your responsibility. And we talked this morning with all of our leaders in our pre-service, we call it rally, where we all get together. And we talked about discipleship is really just reproducing yourself. And all of us disciple somebody. If you're a manager of a business or you have people underneath you at, at work uh, over a department, you disciple people within that department. You reteach them the things that were taught you. So it's a cycle. And then one day you'll either uh, advance or move on or whatever. And those people that you taught will probably be teaching somebody else. We disciple our kids all the time. Um, we, we think of disciples so many times in like this very rigid, formal setting, but discipleship is, is as simple as whenever I would be walking down the road with my dad and I would just finish, you know, my little sucker or whatever, and I'd take my paper and throw it out, uh, throw it out to the side. And my dad would say, son, pick that up. He'd make me go pick that little piece of paper for my little blo uh, little pop. Those, you know what I'm saying. Those little little suckers they give out to you at the uh, bank, if they still do that. But he would make me pick that up, and he would say, "We don't throw trash on the ground. Why, Dad? It's trash. I don't want this. I just want this. You know, I just want the good juicy part." He's like, "We don't throw it on the ground because we care about our city." We don't throw it on the ground because God made this place and he gave it to us. He entrusted it to us. We have to take care of this. What was he doing? He was discipling me. He was reproducing something that was important to him into me. And then Shay and I, we in turn taught that to our kids. I remember we were going down the road one time and my son, he just, he just had a piece of trash. He rolled the window down. Threw it out the window. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting rid of this. I'm like, we do not throw trash out of the window. So what I was doing is I was reteaching what my dad taught me. So discipleship is just retraining someone in some school of thought that you have. It might be your house. It might be business. Or for us in this context, it would be things that were taught at church. I'm discipling you right now. This morning, I was discipled in a few things. And there are people discipling our children in the back right now. And then today, 
I want to talk to you about God created us. One of the ships that he uh, shaped us for is, is stewardship. God created us. He shaped us for stewardship. And uh, God created us to prosper. A lot of times we don't like to, to uh, we kind of dumb everything down. And we don't want to uh, look like we're prosperous and we've done a pretty bad job in the kingdom of the prosperity message. They've, there are people that have taken it like way too far. But listen, there is a lot of things that can come to mind when you start thinking about God, characteristics of God. But lack is not one of them. Can I get an amen? amen. There's not one thing that God lacks. You know, he lacks sin. He lacks, you know, those kinds of... But God does not lack anything. So if he created us in his image, if he's, if he's not a lacker and he's got everything, the scripture says the earth and the fullness thereof. In other words, the earth and everything in it is his. So if he's prosperous and he has the ability to prosper and I'm created in his image, then logically I can deduce that then I'm prosperous. God created me to prosper. Well, that's a deduction. It's like my thinker is thinking that. But we don't even have to go there because we can actually go to the word to find out how God prospers us. Now, let me pause for just a second and just paint a little picture of how I grew up. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a house where there was plenty of lack. I grew up in a house that today people would say that I grew up poor. And I remember there always being this overwhelming, you could almost cut it with a knife atmosphere, this sense of poverty in my home. It was not a good thing. Poverty brings a, a level of, of anxiety and tension into the home. Whenever I was a kid, I remember hearing my mom talk, and she would talk about how in front of me as a child, how we weren't going to be able to make X payment or Y payment. And uh, she used phrases like, well, we're going to, we're gonna, uh, what is it, uh, rob Peter to pay Paul? Have you ever heard that one? Uh, and basically what she was saying is like, well, we're not going to be able to pay uh, the mortgage note, but I'll have enough to pay the, uh, the, at least the light bill and the water bill, and I'll have to, you know, get, be late on my mortgage. And she was always juggling stuff, and I would hear her talk about that. And so in my head, the, at the expectation that she was setting up for me was one of poverty. When uh, we would have things, now I grew up in a house where at one time there were nine of us living in one house, my parents and then the seven kids. And uh, man, you had to fight for uh, stuff in my house. Like, can you imagine buying groceries for uh, seven kids? And when I was a teenager, I already had brothers, uh, or sorry, when I was uh, just in my early years of uh, elementary school, remember, I just had a sister that was born. I was five years old, and I had brothers in their 20s. So you have everybody from, I've, I've got her with the bottle, to, you know, these big old boys can eat two ribeyes at once. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know how my parents fed us. And... Whenever we would have things at home, uh, like a box of cereal, uh, my mom, I just remember her saying, uh, uh, that's enough. You don't, you don't get any more than that. Because she was trying to make that box of cereal stretch as far as she could. And like when I, whenever I got grown and Shay and I moved out, of course, we got married at 18 and 19. We were very poor ourselves, and we were going to college. We were putting ourselves through college, and, you know, I was working full-time, going to school full-time, and it was crazy. And when I look back on those days, we brought a lot of poverty mindsets in, from both of our lives into our home. And I remember, uh, you know, like, I mean, it's two of us, and Shay's like, uh, you know, 
don't eat all the cereal. You know, uh, I remember us one time we got in a fight. Oh, she probably doesn't remember it, but we got into a fight over, like, I'm grown. I'll eat as much cereal as I want to, you know. Like, I don't need you. I grew up with my mama telling me, you know, don't eat all the cereal. You got six other siblings to feed. I'm like, it's just me and you. You going to come in here in the middle of the night and she's going to be, like, eating all the cereal? What? You know, like... <laughs> And I'm like, we'll just buy another box. But when you have a poverty mentality, not only did I bring that into our, our marriage, and it took me years before I knew that I operated under a poverty spirit, um, then I also led with a poverty mentality. And that's a terrible way to lead. Because when you lead with a poverty mentality, you begin to say, well... Uh, we would do this if we had enough money, but we don't, so we can't do that. You know, well, one day, we, when we get enough, dude, sometimes that you just got to step out and bite the bullet and just believe God for it. And we have seen God do this time and time again. When we gave away $50,000 to Africa, when we gave away $20,000 to our Hispanic ministry, when we bought multiple brand new vehicles for missionaries in other parts of the world, God, we, we didn't have the money when we started in all of those situations, but we stepped out in did it. But many times we'll operate out of a poverty mentality and it will affect every part of our life. Um, it will, uh, if you didn't grow up with a poverty mentality, dude, you need to be thanking the Lord that you didn't grow up that way. And I know people, very few of them, but I do know a few people that they didn't grow up under a poverty mentality. They never even look at the price on the menu to, to see what they're going to get. My son is one of those people. Like, you know, as a matter of fact, he's going to order the most expensive thing on the menu. Why? Because he's like, my dad can, can get it for me. You know, well, I mean, that's kind of funny, but that's how we should be looking at things, you know, as our spiritual father. Not that we got to have the biggest and best, but if we need something, our dad can afford everything. As one of my friends said one time, he's the cabillionaire of the universe. God is the cabillionaire of the universe. He owns everything. Like no, no price is too high for him. When we needed this building, we stepped out. We did not have the funds or the ability to, to, to do it. But God made it happen, and it has been amazing how our church, even with a $12,000 a month mortgage payment, and that's just our mortgage payment uh, a month. That doesn't include all of our overhead, our expenses, that kind of thing. Even with that, last year during COVID, we were able to give, give away, you know, over, uh, I can't remember the exact figure off the top of my head, but it was well over 50, I think $60,000 during COVID. We were able to do that, and that's only through God's goodness through his people. So let's give God a big round of applause for that. So thank you, God, for your faithfulness and the faithfulness of your people. All right, so let me preach uh, to you a little bit. Um, so here's, here's what I want to do. I want you to understand that God created us to prosper, and he created us for stewardship. When you go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 28, the very first recorded words of God himself were these. Then God, he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. You is understood there, and this is important, because who's he talking to? He's talking to man. He's talking to creation, who then procreated, and you and I go back all the way to that time. There is a part of Adam's DNA and Eve's DNA inside of every single one of us in this building. That's why color doesn't matter, because we all are from the same bloodline, and 
when he says this in Genesis, he says, you be fruitful. Many times we want God to make us fruitful. Well, he did. Many times we want God to bless us. Well, he did already. Many times we want to, uh, uh, God to uh, make us prosperous. Well, he did right there on the screen. In the very beginning, the first recorded words that he says is, you be fruitful inside of every single one of us. And this ought to get some folks excited. Inside of every single one of us, there is a built-in prosperity uh, creator. You have the ability to create prosperity. You have the ability to be fruitful. Now, if you take it from a natural side, God places inside of us seed. We call, we, we call that the birds and the bees. Every single one of us in this room, we have the ability to procreate in a very natural sense, but in a spiritual and in, and in a tangible sense, there, there are in, uh, innate abilities, there are built-in uh, things that God has placed in us that you and I, he created us to prosper. He created us to thrive, in other words. So many times when you're looking to God, some people uh, want Lord, I, I need you to help me pay off my mortgage. And they're just literally thinking that they're going to win the lottery or uh, publisher's clearing house or they're going to show up one day and somebody, they're just going to find a big bag of money on the street. And uh, I, that, that may happen and all of that jazz. But I'm telling you, God created us with the ability to become debt-free. He did. And Sometimes it just takes us becoming better stewards of what he's already blessed us with. Shay and I, when we went through Dave Ramsey's financial peace, we learned about something that we, we didn't ever, nobody ever taught us this stuff. And she and I were uh, going through that and I said, I wish somebody had taught me this in my 20s. I wish that somebody had pulled me aside and said, son, there's some things you need to know financially that they're just some principles. And if you'll live by these principles, God will bless it. And so we started learning some things like the debt snowball and different things like that. I don't have time to explain. You either need to go through one of our financial courses or find one somewhere else in a different church. It'll change your life. It'll help you start paying uh, 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 debt down quicker. Because in our world, typically what we do is like, "Woo! I paid off my car. Now I have three hundred extra dollars." No, you don't. You got that three hundred dollars needs to go on some more debt. You just you, you. But we we go crazy and we go buy something else that we're gonna spend three hundred dollars. So you never get out of debt. But if if it's inside of us the ability, the wisdom, the ingenuity, the know-how to be able to prosper. He's built it inside of us. So I want you to look at the four things. These are four expectations of God's creation. That's you and me. Number one, he expects us to be fruitful. In other words, he says, I expect to see evidence he said, be fruitful, multiply, uh, replenish, and govern the earth. He said, when I return, I expect to see fruit in your life. I expect to see evidence of what I have already created in you. The second thing is, he says, uh, I want you to multiply. In other words, God's expectation is to see more than you started with. It's not okay for us to, like for instance, when we started Destiny Church, it was me, Shay, and another family. It was not okay for us to just be those two families for, you know, forever. God expected us to grow. We grew to a certain point, and then there was time to expand again in partnering with other churches, planting them in other countries, and then helping to plant them here in the United States. God expects us to multiply. He expects us to fill the earth. In other words, he expects to see expansion in our life, and then he expects govern. He says, fill the earth and govern it. He expects to come when he when he is and and we're not talking about the end times when he comes but he expects when he comes to interact with us in our life to see things decent and in order and for you to be effective in your life these are the four basic uh, expectations that God has of his creation 
Now, I want us to look in the scripture real quick to Matthew chapter 25. I have 24 on the screen, but it's actually uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And so, if you'll look at that, this is the parable of the three uh, servants. And in this parable, this is just a story that God is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And I tell you what, in my Bible, I have it all marked up because there are so many little things in here that, are, that speak life to me and help me. But as we start in verse 14, he says, again, in other words, he's already told them other parables that liken the kingdom of heaven to something. He's given them another example, and he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Stop. So we're taught, he's saying the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated uh, in this, okay? So when, when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about God's operation, how he operates, how he expects us to operate in relation with him. This is important, how you operate with God and how I operate with God. He's about to explain it to us. He says, uh, again, in verse uh, 14 following, he says, he called together all of his service, servants and he entrusted his money. So circle that. He entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So look at this. God is using a financial metaphor to explain the kingdom of God. We get all freaked out in, in our society, in our church culture, about talking about finances. Why? Because America is a consumeristic culture. I'm part of it. I ain't uh, trying to cast any stones against you or anything. I'm not saying I'm not that way and you are. I'm saying collectively the nation that we live in is very consumeristic. It's very individualistic. It's, uh, you know, it's independent. Don't, don't tell me anything. I'll figure it out for myself. It really is not a good character trait in a lot of ways. It is in some ways, but it's really not in a lot of ways because what happens is it places us in this, in this place of almost where our mind it takes precedence over God and his word. And the scripture says there seems a way that's right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So getting back to this, he's likening this, and he says, uh, verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to, to the last, and he divided it out in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. So he divided it out in proportion to their abilities, because there are some people that, you know, like, there are some people in this room, listen to me, this, I'm, not, I'm not cursing you or anything because that's not of God. But there are some people in this room, if you want a million dollars, you better learn to manage better. Because you ain't got the ability to handle a million dollars. Too hard? It's the truth. But if you want a million dollars, improve your management skills. Improve how you, how you take care of things. You'll see it. In, I ain't making this up. It's right here. We're fixing to read it. He said he dished it out, divvied it out, based upon their own abilities. You know I'm telling the truth. You know the Lord's telling the truth. There have been times in your life that you've had to divvy some things out. Maybe you've had to delegate some responsibilities. And you're like, who can I give this to? I'm like, oh, no, I can't give it to her. She ain't even responsible. I give this one to you. I give this one to her. All she got to do is show up, you know. Because you gave it out based upon their abilities. Now, look at this. Verse 16 says, the servant who received the five bags began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. So they, here they're, they're, they're 
return on their investment. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground. That's important. And he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called to them to give an account. Ooh. I'm just telling you, Americans do not like to give an account to nobody. But everybody gives an account to somebody. Everybody gives an account. I give an account. People give an account. He calls them get together because what did I see? say? God's for what of his creation? His expectation. Because God has some expectations of us. And he says, he called them together to give an account of the money. And so... Um, Verse 20 says, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came back with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done. Well done, you faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Small amount and responsibilities and faithful are important in that verse. Verse 22. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two to invest, and I did, and earned two more. The master said the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small, everybody say small, small amount. And he says, now I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said. Now watch how this joker's, his encounter with the Lord is totally different. He says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't even plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Verse 26 says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. Circle them. If you knew that I harvested in places I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten interest on it. Why? Because God expects us to be fruitful. Verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Wait, hang on. Take the money from the little guy? He ain't got no money. He just got a little bit. Take it to the one who has the most? All right, verse 29, to those who use well what are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now throw, oh my God, this is so harsh. Jesus, you are so mean. Now throw this useless, circle useless, servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. All right? So we got a little bit of time that I can preach to you. A little bit. Okay? Let's look at it. So what did God shape me for? He shaped me for stewardship. I've already proved it to you in Genesis 1.28. Then Jesus, in his own words, is telling you a story that, hey, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, well, let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like this. And he uses a financial metaphor to, uh, to, to use to illustrate his kingdom. Now, when God... He created us. He created us to prosper. And now let's look at some highlights from Jesus' teaching, okay? I'm going to just take you through a, a bullet point list of things that we can learn from what Jesus just told us. Number one, it illustrates the kingdom. Being productive, we are to prosper. Like, you don't just get to sit in the kingdom. I hate it. You can sit a while if you're sick. You can sit a while if you're worn out. You can sit a while if you're wounded, but you go, you're going to get well. Why? Because God created us to prosper in our bodies as well. So when you get well, what do you need to do? You need to take your place at the table. You need to take your place at the steering wheel. You need to take your place at the door. You, because this is what the kingdom looks like. There's no slackers in the kingdom. 
in the scripture, the scripture is so, I mean, you know, we like to pick, cherry pick our good little scriptures, but we don't like those that said, if you don't work, you don't eat. We don't like those scriptures that say, a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel, somebody that don't even know Jesus. So, I mean, you know, these are things that the Lord is saying us, that's what the kingdom life is like. So, we, we're hearing what he's saying. And there's something that, he, that stood out to me in this teaching. He said, you've been faithful. This is good. And I'm telling you, if somebody would get this down in your getter, you would, got, there would, something would click for you and, and uh, there would be a, a, a level of prosperity that God wants to take you to if you could get this. But he says, you've been faithful with a little amount. But he said that same thing to the guy with two. Then he said the same thing to the guy with one. Well, I don't know uh, you, but if... Shay, if I gave Shay $5 and I gave Brian, you know, $50 and I gave Zuri $1,000 and then I come back and say, you've been faithful with that small amount I gave you. I would be looking at, uh, if I was Shay, I'd be looking at Zuri and saying, uh, that ain't no small amount to me. I mean, that is multiple times more than what he gave me. But listen, this is what you need to take home. Whatever God has given you is small in his eyes. And he's seeing however you are managing, however I'm managing what he has given me, there is more that he wants me to have. Because he's created me to prosper. God is not satisfied. He's not settled in me having just what I have right now. See, this is a testing period for you and for me. When God gives us something, when God gives you a business, when God gives you certain resources, he's like, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? Because it's a small amount. There's so much more that God wants to bless us with. So to me, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited because, see, I'm looking to have my house paid off and all of my vehicles and all college debt, not mine but kids, but, you know, some of it anyway. But, but I'm looking for all of that to be, I'm looking to be debt-free. I'm not debt-free right now. God is looking at me saying that, Rife, you're being faithful with this small amount and my more that I'm going to get is one day, I don't know when that day is going to be, but you're going to be looking at a man and a woman that we're like, we have no debt. We have no debt. And all of the income that we have, all of the resources that God blesses us with, we take to live on. One, that's the basic. I'm talking about tuna fish. I'm talking about rose. I need that to live. But I'm going en to enjoy some of it. We were talking the other day. We're like, babe, we just want to go to Greece. You know, we just want, you know, there are some places we want to go. Harold, I see y'all, y'all, y'all want to go together? We'll go together, all right? But the point being is I want to, I'm going to enjoy some of it. But I'm, look at what I'm going to have to invest in the kingdom of God. I look forward to the day that I, like, the church ain't got to buy any of vehicle. Shay and I'll buy it for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, we come together to buy a, a vehicle for missionaries together collectively. There will be a day when Shay and I are debt-free, and we will just do that ourselves. And we will still partner with whatever the church is doing. Because it's a small amount right now, but there is more to come. There's more to come. I come. I'm telling you, if you'll cl clench that, if you'll get it, it's going to release something in this house. I, I accept that for myself. Look at what he uh, says. There's, are you an investor or are you a divester? This is important because out of the three of them, two of them invested and one of them divested. Whenever uh, the one with five and two things of silver, they went immediately and put that to work. All right? Now, it's going to be important here. I'm going to point something out that I never saw until this weekend. But they immediately went to investing whatever God. In other words, they begin to use it for God. But what did this other guy do? He 
dug a hole and put it in the ground, what was he doing? He was divesting. He was getting rid of any responsibility. I, I don't even want nothing to do with that money. I'm going to park it over here, and when that joker comes back asking me for it, I'm going to say, here it is. I didn't lose it. Here it's that. That is not what God's looking at from, from us. God is not looking us, uh, at us wanting us to give back to him what he gave. He created us to prosper, and he expects the, the, the mechanism, the creation, uh, his, his, the object of his affection to actually do what he ex, uh, created us to do. Look at this. There's only two reasons that you would put something in the, in the ground. One is to bury it. When you bury it, you've given up all expectation, all hope that it is ever going to do anything. He took what God gave him and he buried it. There are probably people in this room and, and maybe some of you watching online that you have buried what God gave you. You've either buried a talent. Maybe you've buried some financially uh, uh, things financially. Maybe you've buried uh, talents and abilities that he's given to you. But you are not doing anything with that. And so you, you are like that person that you're, you've divested yourself of any responsibility. And I'm not here to make anybody in this house uh, feel bad and not to feel condemned. But I'm telling you what, this is the truth. God expects, if God gave you the ability to teach then you should teach. If God gave you the ability uh, to do X, Y, or Z, then you should be doing something with that because God expects a return on his investment. You either bury it or you plant it. You plant it because a harvest is expected. They expected a harvest. And what they did, look, these three people, two of them put it in the ground and Really, all three of them put it in the ground, but two of them had the expectation that something was going to return. One put it in the ground just to bury it because that's a dead expectation. I have no expectations other than to give it back to him. Pastor, how do you know they weren't uh, investing in the stock market or you know, any business or anything like that? Obviously, the stock market didn't exist, but you know what I'm saying? How, how do you know they didn't invest it? Why? I know it from Scripture. All of these people planted it. All of these people planted it. And I'll, I'll read it to you here in just a, a little bit. So, uh, excuses. Do you give excuses or do you give explanations? Out of these three people, out of these three people, two of them, they just simply came with an explanation. Lord, you gave us this. Look at what we did. We, we invested this and we got this harvest back for you. Here's what it is. The other guy who got the one talent, the one issue of silver, he comes and he says, well, I knew that you were a shrewd, harsh businessman. And I knew, I knew that you, like, you reaped in places like you didn't sow. Like, oh, I'm sorry, whose money was it in the first place? Whose money was it? It was the Lord's money. It was the master's money. It was the businessman's money. That was his part of the job. His part was that. In business, you'll have a silent partner. Who is that guy? That's the one with all the money. Who's the other partner? That's the one doing all the work. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all have been silent partners. But what happens? You work your way into being the other partner so that you benefit from it. This guy comes up and he says, No, Lord, I, I know that you are this kind of person. And so he's making excuses right out of the gate. A lot of times what happens when we talk about stewardship, people begin to want to make excuses. God ain't interested in your excuses. He'll hear your explanation. But God is not interested in excuses. How do I know that? Because of his response. Oh, mean Jesus. The mean Jesus. Not that one that's all lovey-dovey and glory and grace to everybody. This one, because we don't like to look at the other one. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't like that Jesus. We don't want the Jesus that holds us accountable. We don't like that one. We don't like to hear about that one. 
But it's the one and the same Jesus. And he looks at him and he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Like, come on, you can call me lazy. <laughs> but it's kind of nuclear to go to wicked, don't you think? He said, you wicked, you wicked. Why? Why was this person wicked? Because he had schemed. He had devised a plan. We knew he devised a plan before that Lord ever got off on his trip very well. He devised a plan. I'm just going to let this thing, I'm going to put it over here. That's my plan. I'm going to scheme. I'm going to do this. And th this is what I'm going to do. When he comes back, I'm just going to tell him, look, I knew you were this way. And I, because I knew you were that way, then has anybody ever tried to make excuses to you and their excuse didn't make any sense? Because this joker's talking, but stupidity's coming out of your mouth. This joker's talking, and it ain't making sense. And so as, as the words are coming out of his mouth, have you ever had somebody that they're making excuses and their excuses are not making any sense? As a matter of fact, if you went by their logic and you just used their logic on them, you would actually come back to the right decision? That's what Jesus does. He just uses their, the man's logic on him. And he says, look, if... Because, listen, because in, in this, people, uh, let me find the verse. Let me find it. Here it is, verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. There's a very important word that's fixing to come right after this. Anybody see it? Can you pick it out? Say it out loud. If... If you knew that I was that way. You, you, you understand that Jesus never says, you're right, I'm that way. You're right. I'm just shrewd and I'm just, you know, callous. He never admits to that man's faulty way of thinking. But what he does is he turns around and uses that man's own method of, of, of uh, deduction with him and wisdom. And he says, if... So let's just say, if that was the case, and you're go we're going by your logic, at the very least, if you knew I was going to be that way, and if you knew I, I, I uh, expected certain things, then you should have known I would show back up here expecting something. And at the very least, if that was your mindset, you should have put my money in a bank so that at least when I showed up, you would have been able to produce the bare minimum. But that wasn't what God was expecting. I promise you, I promise you, if that man had gone and invested like the others, which all amounted to planting, if that man had planted and had a failed crop and Jesus showed up and that guy comes and he says, Lord, uh, Listen, um, I do not have a hundredfold return like these guys had. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a total failure. Like, you know, I mean, these guys are up there in, you know, in Judah. They're, they're up there in that nice, or I can't remember, Israel, northern, southern kingdom, but you got the point. But uh, Israel's northern, right? But the point being, they're up there with all of that great moisture, you know, uh, the climate, it rains up there all the time. They, yeah, they had, but we had drought down here in the southern part. And I told, like, I tried, man, I was out there seven days a week, you know, trying to make this thing go. And we just didn't produce anything this year. I'm sorry. What would Jesus' response have been? Hmm? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. But, but Lord, I didn't produce anything. You tried. You were faithful. You were out there trying to make it happen. You were out there doing everything you could. Well done. 
you good and faithful servant. But he didn't try. So his response was completely different. And the Lord says, you wicked, you lazy servant. Because stewardship is about character, not ability. Stewardship is about character. You never planned on doing anything anyway. It's about character, not your ability. That's powerful. Look at this. There's this thing, there's these kingdom economics. This doesn't work in capitalism or the American uh, idea of economy because we want to take care of, of everybody and uh, give uh, everything to our entitled nation. We want to, you know, people that don't work, we want to, you know, I, I mean, I'm getting stimulus checks in the mail and I'm cashing them just like you, you know, when they come in. But, you know, there are, there are people I know that they have made Ten, listen, I'm not joking. I know people who have made tens of thousands of dollars during, uh, in, double, in, in at least the ten thousands of dollars during the pandemic. And they've not done anything. Hadn't even tried to get a job. I know that for a fact. And that's what our mentality is, is that we will bless people who don't do anything. That is not the biblical idea. It's like you work, you eat. You don't work, you don't eat. In our, in our world, it's like we want to take from uh, the you know, upper 1%, 2% of the economy, and we want to take away their wealth, and we want to give it uh, down here to people that don't do anything. Well, I don't want to get into a big you know, debate on whether that's right or wrong, but that ain't how that works in the scripture. The scripture, do I think that there needs to be better wages, equality, all that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But in the scripture, what he said, he said, come on here for a second. Give me, give me that uh, silver that you got. All right. So I'm going to take this from you. And who does he give it to? The one that invested and had the greatest return normally we're trying to take that and, and bring it down but he's doing it the other way and that's how it works in the kingdom the kingdom the way it works is hey when you're faithful with something god rewards you with more that's why i tell people you renting a you renting a mobile home somewhere treat it like you own it because if you want to own something one day god's going to say how'd you treat that if you got a if you got a car that's rusted out Wash it every week. <laughs> I washed Shay's old junky car that I had in college that she gave to me. I gave her my good car, and she gave me her rusted out crummy one. That's what a good husband does. Man, I wash that thing all the time. I would have guys in my college uh, apartments. They would, they would, they're like, why are, you, why are you washing that thing? The rust is the only thing holding it together. They'd be making fun of me, you know. But I treated it well because I knew one day I'm going to be I'm going to be driving me a new car and I'm going to treat it just like I treat that because that's how God's economy you are faithful in a certain way then God will bless you in other ways let me real quickly close this out remember Luke 10 27 we started with this at the beginning of the year and it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind when he's talking about strength there, he's talking about more than just physical strength. It's talking about ability. Like you have a certain strength, ability to produce. Some people have more strength, clout, uh, financial clout than others in the room. Uh, some people, it might be a lot for you to go out and buy a new car today. For some people in the room, that's nothing for you because you have the resources to do that. So when he's talking about strength, we must love him with all of our strength. He's talking about the resources that we have. And so the resources that we typically look at uh, in the scripture or, or in, in the world when it looks at scripture is it's really talking about what time. you. That's a resource of yours, your talent 
talent? What abilities has God given you? Uh, there are people in this room that you could build a house from scratch. You don't want me to build a house from scratch for you. There are people here that they have so much financial knowledge. Like for me, I'm just down to simple math. Simple addition and subtraction. You don't want me. There are people that they can play instruments like an angel. Like for me, you don't want me playing an instrument. But God's given all of us different abilities. And then, of course, there's the tithe. We live in a time in the church world today that the tithe is almost unheard of. Like we have more people than I would like to admit at Destiny who do not tithe. And they very seldom give. But God says, you know, when you love me, you have to love me with your resources. You have to love me with your ability. So what do we look at this? In Matthew 6, uh, 21, he says, wherever your treasure, that's resources, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so there's this connection between the heart and resources. God says, what's important to you is where your resources are going to end up. I tell you what, people who are die-hard football fans and they buy tickets off somewhere, they don't have any problem. They don't have any problem finding a weekend off and the money to go to those games all during uh, uh, Auburn season, Alabama season, Mississippi State season, whatever is your favorite team. They don't have any problem doing that. They're, why? Because your heart is there. It's important to you. So you're going to find a way to do that. Pastor Reif, are you, are, are you uh, dissing people uh, who, who do? No, that's absolutely great because I find the money to do what I want to do. Why? Because I don't like that kind of stuff, but I, I want to find myself down in Central America on some island where away from nobody else. So what do I do? Shay and I plan for that stuff. We find uh, money for it, we save for it, and we find time to go do that because it's important to us. Our heart is there. And so there's this connection between heart and resources. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I know that there are some people that your heart is not connected to Destiny Church. I know people that their heart is not connected here. Why? Because your resources aren't connected here. Your abilities are not here. Your tithe is not here. Your time is not here. I'm just telling you, you cannot be part of a church family and you show up every six months. You can't be. You cannot be part of a church family, a community of faith, and not ever come to the table with whatever God has blessed you with. I don't know about you, but in my house, that means me, Shay, and our single son for right now. But in my house, everybody has a responsibility. Like, I'm not washing the dishes. I didn't put the dishes in the sink. I washed my dishes. But I'm not going to come in there when my son's home from uh, college and, you know, he, I mean, he calls himself a master chef. If you're watching, Noah, don't be mad at me. But I'm telling you, he's dragging out every single pot in the kitchen. I mean, he messes up for one meal more things than Shay and I mess up in two weeks. I'm not cleaning that mess. Why? Because he made the mess. And you live in this house. And as part of this house, you get to help keep the house. Same with God's house. Same with God's house. If you come and you're fed here, you should be bringing your abilities and tithe and time here. That's not something that I'm saying selfishly. The scripture says this, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there's enough resources in this house. The church has to take, like the general church, the general church has to take offerings to pay for stuff. We should never have to do that. Because if people brought their tithe to the house, Pastor, you're making me feel bad. I ain't making you feel anything. That's your response to the word of God. Condemnation is not from God, but conviction is from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. And so this is what the Lord's Word says. Because why? He created us for stewardship. 
He created us for this. So what I want you to do, we're fixing to leave. What I want you to do with the word that I gave you today, these two things, begin serving somewhere. Like we have places all over Destiny that you could get involved here. Pastor Rife, you just want me to serve it at uh, church? No, I want you to serve wherever your heart is. Do you love your school? Well, guess what? Shay and I, I volunteered at my children's school when they were in school. Why? Because we loved that school. It was dear to us. My wife taught there. I taught there. It blessed me. It gave me a paycheck. It trained my children up. So I believe in that school. I believed in the faculty and staff. So what did I do? I painted for that school. I served at their events because that's what I do when my heart is invested in something. Don't just serve here. Serve wherever your heart is. And then the last thing is, Begin tithing. Tithing is one of those things. Pastor Rife, you know, we don't have enough time because we got to go. Pastor Rife, that's the Old Testament. Yes, it is. It's an Old Testament blessing that is still in effect today. And for you and I, you know what God did? He removed the curse from it. Because in the Old Testament, if you didn't, you would be cursed. In the New Testament, if you don't, it's just your loss. You miss out on the blessing that comes with it. When you bring tithe, the scripture says he'll open the windows of heaven. So much so that you won't be able to contain it. There are many people in the kingdom that are not being blessed. You, you, yes, you're, you're, you have a level of blessing. But there is a whole different level of blessing that comes with tithing. And there's a great number of people that don't know that level of blessing because of their lack of tithe. I'm telling you, this is something that I know to be true because Shay and I have tithed since we were teenagers. And we never stopped. We've never had a time where we did not tithe. Well, I just need to wait till I get back on my feet. Mm -mm. Tithe. Always tithe. Right off the top, right off the, uh, the very top. Always. Uh, well, I'm just not sure I believe that that's biblical and yada, yada, yada. Well, you can... What, you know what that is? That's that man coming to the Lord. Well, I knew you were a harsh man. It's an excuse. It's really about character. People don't tithe because it's a character issue. People don't give because it's a character issue. It really is. You will find a place to invest where your heart is. And I just want to uh, end by saying, you know what? There are so many of you who are so faithful in your giving. There are so many people that God is going to bless you because of your faithfulness to tithe and your faithfulness to offering. And listen, you cannot make an offering a tithe. You can't do it. A tithe is for a certain purpose and it's for this house and it brings a blessing. Offerings are different. You can give an offering to another ministry. You can give an offering to your school. You can give an offering to Operation uh, um, Royalty Rescue. Or you can give an op, uh, one to uh, Eric Lee Spoken or any of the other ministries that we have in here. Those are offerings. But the tithe is for this house. But many people call their offering a tithe. And you need to stop doing that because it's not. Just go pray and ask God what he would have you do. And I'm telling you what the answer is. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. But Pastor Rife, I don't have very much. That little lady that had the two little mites didn't have very much either. But she put in what she had. And I'll let this be my last thing to say. The lady that came to me and she said, Pastor Rife, I would love to tithe, but we just cannot. We we are at such a place in our finances that it's a wreck. And um, her husband would go from job to job. Could, he tried, but they would just keep playing out. They just wouldn't, it wouldn't be for very long. And she came to me and she said, you know, I, I hear what you say, but, you know, we just, we, we can't. And I said, but what can you do? Are you doing anything? We're, we're not. See, they were living under a spirit of condemnation. 
well, because you can't, you just, you might as well not even try. That's embarrassing to the Lord what you're trying to do. And so she was explaining that to me, and I said to her, I said, listen, give, what can you give? Give what you can. Stop renting two Redbox movies a week and put that in the offering if that's all you can do. But find some place and just begin. Start somewhere. Where? Dig something. Plant a seed and watch what God does. And I'm telling you what, I don't know if it was a year later or something, she came back to me and she said, Pastor Rife, you probably noticed, like, we are so excited that we are tithing. We are truly doing a 10% of our income. And my husband, he's got the most incredible job. Everything, everything just started clicking. Why? Because God had created that principle of you invest and the blessing is going to come. And to this day, they don't live here. They now live in a different state because he got an incredible job in another part of the country and now all of that is part of the blessing that God has poured out on them their their marriage they their marriage was on the rocks failing miserably ready almost for divorce now they just seem to be the most in love couple that you would ever meet all of that guys as I'm telling you living out of a lifestyle of prosperity